Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Are you telling me that it's 825? Precisely. Yeah. I'm late for school. You know, I have one simple request. And that is to have sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads. You are asking me to be rational. That is something I know I cannot do. But whatever it is, it's gotta get by us. Right. Go get her, Ray! Okay. Uh, welcome to Get a Load of This Movie. My name is Zach. Who else um, is here with me? Um, Corey. Hey, what's up? I'm Cole. Um, and we actually have a guest today. Uh, this is someone who's been trying to get on, uh, my other podcast for a long time, the content cube and had asked to be on this one was originally going to be on the scream three episode. He was the mystery guest that we had talked about that we didn't name out of fear that it would fall through. And what, what do you know? It fell through, but that was on us. Yeah. That was Um, our fault. You know, we, we thought it would be a funny slight to put him on the scream three episode, uh, because that's not, not everyone's favorite, but, uh, alas, uh, it, it it was Scream Four was the was the where it was gonna happen. So uh who who is this guest? If you would like to introduce yourself, full name. Oh, like my full government name? Yeah, full name, social security if you have it on you. Uh yeah, no, I actually don't have the card. <clears throat> I am Sam, Zach's esteemed older brother. Mm. Granted he has two, but I'll go with the esteemed one. So we're doing Scream Four, and this is get a load of this movie, otherwise known in Qatar. The country oh. Qatar, where the World Cup wow, was wow. this year. I know. Yeah, we're doing a little bit of jumping around, but it's known in Qatar as Trip Over a Rug and Fall Into My Heart, the 1987 rendition. Uh, get a little, uh, or a movie franchise podcast. So that's, damn, that's, a, good that's one. a fun one. That's we a good one. Yeah. We got a like good one, one there. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yes, like Corey said, it is Scream 4 time. Well, Cole, let's start with the green light. <laughs> We really should stop this fighting. Otherwise, we'll miss the fireworks. There won't be any fireworks. And here we go. (laughs) Yep, that's the green light, Cole. Go ahead now. Okay, so today we are talking about Scream 4, stylized as Scroforum. Wes Craven returned to direct this, and he... He made a condition that he was coming back only if the script was good. And the guy who wrote the script was the guy who wrote the first two, and that was Kevin Williamson. Williamson was announced to return just a year before the film was released back in 2010. And, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but I'm happy he came back. I know everybody else might be, too. Um, Don't stop speaking for us. We've told you to stop speaking for us. Well, I disagree. Speak. It is quite presumptuous. Okay. But yes, that is correct. I am happy that he's back. You were correct this time. But one day you're not going to be, and that's why we have this, these discussions. Okay. But uh, anyway, so the film got a 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, so a pretty big bump up from the third. Has an average of 3.4 on Letterbox. Uh, released April 15th of 2011. The film has a pretty relatively new cast like the rest of them do because only three mi- people make it through each one of these movies at this point. Um, starting with Emma Roberts, who plays Jill. Um, she, She's good. She was known for multiple things at this time. I think out of most of these younger actors, she was by far the, like the most famous at this time. And then you got Rory Culkin, 
as Charlie, but his biggest role was by far in the 2002 M. Night Shyamalan film, Signs. He is good in that. He was great as a kid. Yeah. Uh, then we have Hayden Pernatier as Kirby Reed. She was in the hit NBC show Heroes. Um, next we have Marley Shelton as Judy Hicks. Corey, can you tell me what her biggest film role yeah. was before this? He can't. He can't. No, Sam, Sam, you have to wait. He, you have he to can't wait. do it. Corey has seen I, it, but he can't do it. I've seen it? You've definitely seen, I'll put, put it this way, I actually can't confirm it, but I'm pretty, I'd be surprised if you hadn't seen this movie. Can, can I have a hint? It was 1993, I, I've been, and it's a sports movie. Sports it's an all-time classic movie. sports movie. Sports-related movie, All if not that a sports movie. lotion and lotion and Oh, lotion. is she in Benchwarmers? Is that what no. I'm thinking? Terrible movie. 1993. <laughs> bad guess. Dude, I Just don't bad know. Guess. Same line. She plays. Oh, I was gonna tell her she she plays a lifeguard. Wendy Peppercorn. That's, that's, that's her. Wendy Peppercorn. I know, right? I remember when oh I realized I was like, gosh. no way. Yeah. What a babe. Let me look this. Yeah, up. she's pretty good in that. All right, who else we got here, Cole? Uh, Mary McDonald, the first Oscar nominee to actually be in one of these movies. She got nominated for an Academy Award for. Her role in the 1991 Best Picture winner, Dances with Wolves. I knew that, though. Dances with Wolves is, is a fine film. She's She is good in that. Yeah. Oh. Tatanka. Right. I just looked up a picture of her in the Sandlot, and I do see it now. <laughs> uh, and then you have, how, how did you say it? Marl Jaffe? As I, a, I completely guessed when I was pronouncing it earlier, so you, your guess is as good as mine. As Olivia Morris, uh, she is known for background roles. Just background So roles. unknown. Yeah, basically. <laughs> That'll happen. Famous background role actor. Usually <laughs> they call those character actors, but I, I think this is even more background than This that. is not a character actor. <laughs> no, that's that's character, character actors character actually actor. have a character to play. I, I think you, you need know. a character to play to be a character actor. And then you have Eric Nudson as, as Robbie Mercer. He was known for multiple TV and film roles, but specifically his role in the second uh, film in another horror franchise, Saw 2. Was he the son that was kidnapped like the whole time? I think he might have been. And that's all about getting the sun back? I don't know. I'm not going to speculate because uh, that, that conversation will go nowhere. Uh, who's this last name here, Cole? She's pretty famous. Uh, that would be Allison Brie. Um, primarily a TV actor. Also, mm -hmm. she had a long guest starring role on Mad Men and at the time was actually very famous for her role in the hit NBC show Community. Pause. Oh. Pause really quick. Allison yep. Brie is in Mad Men. Yeah, she plays one of Don's um, dalliances. No, she doesn't. Oh, no, she you... doesn't. She plays Pete's wife. Is she in the first season of Mad Men? Don't cut me. that up. By Don, the way, Don I want Cole's failure to be recorded here. Ah. Allison Brie plays Pete's wife. And what did you it... call her, Cole? One of Don's dalliances. Don is? has a lot of affairs in that show, man. He never is? makes his way to Pete's wife, huh? 
Is she in the first season? I believe so. She's Trudy. I completely missed her. I'm going to have to rewatch the show. Whole show. Not that I watched past like episode 10, but I'm going to start over. You could probably find like an Allison Brie all moments Mad Men <laughs> compilation <laughs> on YouTube if you really wanted to. Okay. Uh, well, I think that just about covers most of the bases here. So I think we should just get along to action. Even the opening scene, there's always some random girl who gets a call that undoubtedly ends up getting her killed. It's all so predictable. There's no element of surprise. You can see everything coming. <laughs> Did that surprise you? <laughs> now shut the fuck up and watch the movie. You're coming in hot? No, our action transition is from this movie. It is. So, so is this is meta? like... Our audience is going to have one of those moments where they're going to like, oh, whoa. it's that Leo moment. Like, whoop, right there. There it is. I mean, I, I when I was watching the movie today uh, and that part came up in the opening scene, it it almost like triggered me that I was like editing the podcast again. And I almost got ten. I got tensed up a bit, even though obviously I know I wasn't. But it's just that visceral reaction. It's like when you uh, make a song, your your uh, you know, your alarm to wake up to. Yeah, and and then you hear it when you're not waking up, and you just you, but you get tense when you hear it. That's what that was like to me when I heard that segment today uh, from the movie. Sounds like you really enjoy editing. No, it's gonna be a nightmare. This one's gonna be the worst one of all. I can I I'm already certain of that. All right, so Scream Four, uh, whereas the first Scream is about horror movies in general, Scream Two being about horror sequels, Scream Three about trilogies. Uh, Scream Four came out 2011 after a decade. Uh, of just a bunch of horror remakes. Studios were pumping out remakes of uh, of horror movies all the time. Uh, and this, this movie is a commentary on that. This movie comes out 11 years after Scream 3. Luckily, thank God, they didn't decide to remake Scream. They just continued in the same timeline, which, you know, thank God for that because plenty of these other franchises have, you know, separated their timeline. Scream is one of the last ones left that hasn't yet. Um... And I appreciate that. Uh, I have the list of uh, horror movies that Kirby, Hayden, Hayden's character in this film, rattles off uh, at one of the trivia questions when Ghostface asks her, name the remake of the horror film in which the killer, and then, you know, he cuts her, she cuts him off and lists pretty much not every horror remake of the 2000s, but a bunch of them because there just are a bunch of them. So I'm going to list all of those off that she names. 2007 Halloween, Sam, but <laughs> yes or no on, on if it's good or not. Oh, I have to pick. I can't say a middle ground. Are you nope. middle ground? You can say middle ground. I, I'm middle grounding the first one. Okay. But I have seen it. Uh, I think it's pretty awful. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I do like this remake. Sam, what do you think? I haven't seen it in years, but I do enjoy it. Are you talking about the cool. Alexandra Daddario one? That is not No, that's remake. one of that the worst movies I've movie. ever seen. Go get them, cuz. Yeah, that's a bad one. This one came out in 2003 with Jessica Biel. Oh, I never Which saw one, that. What? What's the one that dropped on Netflix recently? That's, that's the that's newest not remake. The remake. Oh, that's the remakes. late sequel. Uh, I'm pretty sure she's right, not sequel. talking about that one, right? That no. no. Given that no. it came out a decade plus later, but I have that's the only Texas Chainsaw Massacre I've seen. I'm only gonna name a couple more of these just out of realist being realistic about what we've seen, and what we haven't here. Uh, the Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, great movie. I do like oh. that one. Zack Snyder's first film. Um, Hills Have Eyes. I have not seen this. Really one. enjoyable. Never seen it. Amityville Horror with Ryan Reynolds. No nope. fun. Seen parts of it. it myself. Didn't really like it. Friday the Thirteenth, two thousand nine. Enjoyable. I like that film. 
I've only seen it's the, fun. the original. Yeah, it's a good movie. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Only seen the original. <laughs> All right. Uh, last great. one I'll say, House of Wax. I do like that movie. That's a fun one. Are you talking it. about the like early 2000s one with like Paris Hilton? Yeah. Cool. I mean, just context here. Yeah, we're talking about mid-2000s <laughs> horror remakes. So which, one, which other one do you think I'm talking about? Okay. Famous horror remakes in general. Not going to do a whole thing on it here. Just in general, The Thing, one of the best horror movies of all time is a remake. Uh, and same goes for The Fly by David Cronenberg. How does this movie, Scream 4, employ the remake theme? And my question to you guys is, do you think they really, like... Ham- do they hammer it home in that like they, they kind of hint at like the killer is like oh the killer is remaking the first movie and it's like what because he k- killed two people at a house and then I mean and, and then there's the party and the out doing the party thing at the end but I feel like it's just a remake because it takes place in Woodsboro do you guys get what I mean I feel like it's not they're really not like hammering home the remake thing Most... with what actually happens so you're saying specifically the characters in the movie remaking not that Scream 4 is hammering the remake aspects as well. Right. Well, they're saying that the killer is doing a remake, you know, or like calling, more or less doing a remake of the original. Yeah, I would say that's an absolute stretch. Like for them to actually, the characters in the movie to say that, yeah, that's a total stretch. Because even if you... Because oh, Jill being the new Sydney, you know, that's was, that's what they're going for. But I was going to say, I think the, the characters, like the killers, like Jill and oh, what's what's his name? Robbie. Robbie. I think they no, are legitimately Charlie. doing. Oh, it's Charlie. I was completely wrong. Robbie's the other one. That's funny. Oh, yeah, because everything. because uh, uh, Kirby says, come here, Charlie, or something like that. Or make a move, Charlie. That's <laughs> a really good scene. Um, Kirby, but this I, is I definitely think. Yeah, I definitely think that. Those, like those two definitely think that they're remaking the original and they're trying to and I think they're going about it like I mean killing two people the first to open up the movie like two people at a house randomly and then kind of making their way through there and like even at the end they were going to frame the boyfriend and then this other guy I mean it wasn't exactly Stu and Billy by any means but it was like they were going to frame the boyfriend and then have him have an accomplice. And so that's exactly what they were trying to do. And so I think in the movie they were, but I don't think Scream 4 as a whole was trying to remake. If we want to talk about trying to remake the movie, I think Scream 5 and Scream 6 are almost like the closest you'll get to like the original two like the original movies in terms of like plot point remakes. Yeah. yeah, with yeah, Scream Six definitely does that with Scream Two, and then yeah, yeah. Scream Five. Scream, I, I, Scream Scream Five is not a ba- as bad as Scream Six, but definitely, like, I don't think this one's anywhere near. I think this one they're still doing like more or less original. Like this is an original idea. Like, well, they're not there, there is the them. um, there is the discussion, right? Like that the the heroes are having, even saying like if they're trying to remake it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, none of that intent though would be known. At that point, they don't know the motives of the killer, and I feel like that's the only, like, serious overlap that would be considered a remake. Yeah, yeah. It's all speculation on the character. So yeah, part it's, like point. it's just kind of thrown out there to hammer it into the viewers. It's kind mind. of like uh, in Scream Two when they're like, there's just that scene where they're like, talk. We brought it up in the episode, so I won't harp on it, but literally just the. Oh, they're, it's repeating the murders from Woodsboro because of the names. And then after that <laughs> yeah, scene, dropped completely dropped and doesn't get brought up again and is abandoned. Um, so it's similar to that. 
Um, yeah, I like. I, get, I agree with what you're saying, Corey. Uh, I, I do. I, I'm not saying that I, I wish Scream 4 would hit all the beats of the first Scream in the name no, of no, you no, know no. addressing remakes. So I'm glad that they don't do that. I just I, I like the idea of the killers wanting that to be what they're doing, yeah. specifically Jill in general, because her whole thing is replacing Sydney and being the new Sydney, like you know, in her own life or whatever, being the sole survivor. Uh, so her setting up Trevor and um, Charlie, I guess, is a, is a good, you know, parallel there with Billy and Stu. Uh, the opening scene of this movie, the movie within the movie, and then the movie within that movie, <laughs> you know, uh, that, the, the layers there, it's, it gets really cute with it. You know, it's, it's definitely a, a gimmick, but I think it's an effective one, and it's clever. Uh, and I enjoy it, especially the middle one with how silly it is with um, Kristen Bell and Anna Paquin. I think that's the most obvious. That one's obviously a movie once that, you know, the stabbing happens. Like, oh, because you talk too much. You know, that, that's ridiculous. But it's it's all in the name of comedy within the context of the film. Um, so how do you, uh, Corey, specifically, how do you feel about uh, the opening scene? And do you think it's annoying or do you think it's like actually like clever and fun? So I remember watching. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I liked it when I first watched it. But then for some reason, I haven't seen this one in a while. I think this is the first time I've rewatched it in a long time. Um, maybe in like two years, I think that's the most it would be at this point, maybe three. Um, but I remember them going on for like five times. I remember just like keep going layer after layer. And when I tur- first turned it on, I was just like, oh, like I was almost kind of annoyed. I was like, oh, I have to sit through like four or five of these before we actually get to the actual movie. And then when the actual movie started, I had no idea that the actual movie had started. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's props to the movie because I didn't know the movie had actually started. But um, I liked it. I think it, I I thought that was good because, like the initial like that first opening scene is so um, like important to these movies because you have that first scene in the first one being almost like a short film in itself, and then every single film su- subsequent on that is just trying to recapture that and just kind of set the tone for the movie almost and so i think this one does really good because they're trying to hammer home like oh it's been done before we've done like it's just so repetitive at this point so they're trying to like be meta on themselves like they always do um and so i think it really sets the tone well for it uh but yeah i I like it I, i don't think it's near the best one best opening of any of these i i i have a question so do you think when when charlie and kirby were sitting on the couch and it was just them and then Kirby was just like, this is the time to make a move. And then Charlie was kind of getting into it, you know? Like, he saw that, oh, this might actually be my opportunity here. Because it wasn't like Charlie and Jill were dating at all. Like, they didn't even, they didn't even say anything like that when they were, like, revealing their plan. I mean, they did but, make out. Charlie literally said, this time Randy gets the girl and he makes out with Jill. Yeah, oh, but... Did he? Yeah, she oh, yeah. could have easily been stringing him along. Oh, she was. Yeah. I'm saying Charlie in Charlie's oh, yeah, mind, mind absolutely. in the context of Corey's question. I, yeah. Charlie okay, believes okay, that okay. they are. So here's okay, then take that out. But do you think if uh what's his name? Trevor? Yeah. Is that the boyfriend's name? If Trevor didn't walk in and like ruin that moment and like Charlie and Kirby actually started like making out and getting it on a little bit, do you think that Charlie would have like said let's just get out of here like let's just leave no. jill i uh, you, you I, think he was you think he was pretty invested I think in it at that in, point i think he's a little in too deep <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think he's he, he's he wasn't in no too deep to get to that point though right well that was a joke i would also agree <laughs> he was not in deep enough yet 
<laughs> that is good. I would also agree that, or point out that Billy in the original screen slept with Sydney before, you know, I think if anything, Charlie might have so, delayed but, what he wanted to do. Our but, time, but, with, with Billy and with Billy and Sydney, Billy's like point of doing it was just to screw her up as much as possible and in doing that, like even like sleeping with her, like he got everything he, he wanted. I, I'm pretty sure if he had a checklist of things he wanted to accomplish that night, sleeping with Sydney was probably number two, right behind killing her. You know, if I could like, if I can get all of these, that's great. If I could just get one thing, then it definitely be killing her. But especially since he had been waiting a year on her too. Yeah. But with but with Charlie and Kirby, I don't even think Charlie really considered that an option. You know, I, I he looked no. shocked, but it yeah, was and so that's that what I'm saying. Like he liked her, but and like she didn't retrospectively we know that she didn't die i don't know if that's if there's like an after credit scene or anything i didn't watch any but um no there isn't uh but i i just wonder if like that would have happened if it would have played out a little bit differently because they weren't doing it to mess with kirby they were doing it to kill sydney of course is the plot of all these movies um except four and five really uh but they were doing they were this doing it to get four. Sydney out of the equation and like remake the first one. And like Charlie didn't necessarily have to die. No, and in so, his mind, he clearly didn't think so. Right. And like, so that's I, what, I, I don't think he, I don't think he didn't kill her just out of not trying to, I think he stabbed her twice and thought, Oh, that will get her, you know? And I think he was like, flustered. Are you talking about how he let Kirby live? But he didn't let Did Kirby he, live. Well, no, I mean, like, I mean, like, I think he stabbed twice, and then clearly he was upset. He it wasn't like, oh, gotcha. He was like visibly upset that he was killing Kirby, especially right after she finally made a move. And because he, he was like, it's too late, you fucking bitch. Like he was clearly there was actual anger there see, behind I, it, and, and he's walking away stressed. He's like rubbing his hair and walking away really flustered. So I think he just didn't. He just fucked up because he was upset. Yeah. Yeah, but I think if they would have actually started, like, actually gotten it on, and, like, actually started kissing, actually started making out, actually would have started, you like... You think it would have changed his mind? I think it no, would have changed his mind, all. because no, I... F- not at all. Corey, he's into deep. What do you think Jill's In his do? mind, he thinks he's with Jill. Like, he... I'm not... I understand, like his but... his mindset is that. There's no going if you, back. <laughs> if you had to pick between Jill and Kirby, I mean... Okay, and you had well, both that's a different right? question. That's a different question. But it's that's not. It's the exact problems, same man. question I'm... It's the exact same question I'm asking. Because I think I'd either... pick the girl that I've intimately planned murders with. Yeah, probably. You kind of have... Not because, oh, one's hotter than the other, because you kind of have to at that point, you know? Because if not, then the one that is doing the murdering... I don't think there's a happy ending for Charlie and, and, um, and uh, Kirby. Kirby here. No, Zach. Zach, they run off into the sunset. It's going to be that's beautiful. Not what, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the movie could have ended differently without it ending in the hospital. It could have still ended at the house because then he maybe he changed his mind. I don't know. I probably would have been as interesting as movie. I'm just saying, like, I, do, I don't think that he was fully consi- – like, fully in on the entire plan of Kirby would have finished what she had started. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Once you start killing people, I think you're committed. Yeah, that's, I think he committed once he, the opening scene. All right. Um, Thanks for asking my opinion on the opening scene, by the way. What is your opinion, opinion on the opening scene, by the way? <laughs> so we're going back. <laughs> uh, no, I just thought that the opener did a good job of also setting the new rules in the new era. And, like, right off the bat, they go into... Oh, is that your Facebook stalker? I mean, that that to me, like, clearly just, they want to let you know 
this is something new. This is something different. This is the um, digital age in a way. We have Facebook now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we can completely ignore this. And, and Channing Tatum all, pictures. Yeah. Yeah, nice little reference there. You know, I do like the, you know, it could be anyone we know, or the off chance Channing Tatum, you know, like when she's like listening, who could be at the door. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah they, they, they push the, the meta reference far more than they had before. Like, obviously, stab is a thing, but like the meta prank was more so on characters in the other movies. And this one, they're pranking the viewer a couple times. Like, they, they never teased Scream 2's opener with us thinking we're watching um, Heather Graham get in the shower. Like, they, they kind of mess with you twice. And I agree, Corey. They, it does seem like they let it go on a little long. But I, I think you can afford two fake-outs. Once, once you go past three fake-outs, that's, that's, that's one too many. Especially since the second fake-out is so short and clearly fake. Yeah. You know? And the first one had two ghost faces. Like, yeah. at the same time, you, you had the buddy team up, you didn't know that you wanted. Right. Well, maybe a tease for later. Who knows? But, um, and then there's, uh, I did, I'm glad that that first one was fake, because the whole, like, I'm standing right beside you lying and then the stab, that would have been lame. Yeah. Uh, I do like how the, the real one ends with her crawling down the stairs and him just kind of slowly following her down the stairs. That's pretty scary. And then the garage callback. To Tatum? Yeah. yeah, the garage callback's good. They add some, the sound mixing there, they add some serious, like, bone-cracking sounds when the garage door comes down on her. I don't know if that's how that would work. I don't think they're that strong. But it's, you know, I don't think garage doors are that strong either. I mean, uh, the first one picked up a person. Yeah, but it was really, remember, they showed the light. It was shaking. It was really struggling with it. Yeah, I guess in oh, California, my. maybe they have, like, some regulations that really <laughs> give you some, some powerful garage doors. This is this is a couple of years after the original. Okay, garage door technology can excel in that time. Yeah, that's elevate. Like, you advertise the garage door like this. Garage door can crush spines if it has to. But you know, I I, the one thing that I thought was kind of lacking though was Roger, our dear Ghostface voice, never got to be quite playful or flirty like he was in the first one. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, especially in the new ones, I feel like they allowed him to do that again. And this one, they just kind of like cut right to it because they have to go through three different bits. He, I, I agree. And in general, in this movie, I, I mean, again, he's great in all these movies. I think this, and but in terms of Ghostface calls in this movie, I do agree. I don't think they're as strong as they are in five or six or one or two. And I'm not gonna say it's worse than three. But what I will say is this has this movie has one of my favorite, uh, you know, Ghostface call lines when he's talking to Sydney. And he goes, like, he's pretty much telling her, like, oh, like, you know, you're going to have to sit and watch or whatever, and then you'll die when I want you to. But what he says is, I'm going to cut your eyelids in half so you can't blink when I stab you in the face. I'm like, that's a pretty good, that's a, I, that would work on me. Let me, let me tell you that. I'd be, I'd be quaking in my boots, shivering in my boots, yeah, as Ghostface sure. says. You know, I would be very, very scared. Um, but yeah, moving on. So I, in general, like, in the, on the Ghostface topic, uh... This is a big, you know, turnaround from three, which was, like we said, pretty bloodless. Uh, not a very violent movie in, in, in comparison to the rest of the franchise. Um, this one, I remember being, like, pretty taken aback, even in the Olivia scene, where you walk in and the whole movie is like, or the whole room is like a splatter fest and you just see her guts, you know, you know hanging out of her stomach. Um, so what were you guys' thoughts on the violence in this movie, the kill scenes and how they compare to the other movies. Corey, do you have like a favorite? Um, in this movie, I think the yes. best one, I, I, I really liked the one 
um where it's the friend across like the neighbor yeah olivia yeah Yeah. olivia yeah i really like that closet gimmick i just i i like that one because the closet gimmick because it kind of it's like subverting expectations a little bit where you're just like oh he's in the house again but he's not in the house that you think he is um but it's also just like that feeling of helplessness that it's just like you always felt that but then they i felt like in the third one they ran out of ways to make you feel like the uh the prote- the protagonists were helpless and i feel like in this one with that especially it's just like yeah there are all these main characters there experience like experiencing that but none of them can help like at all like the only way you can help is if you try to get over there and take him on but I which mean, is what city does which i love right, by the way i right, love that city yeah. doesn't hesitate and runs over there yeah but i mean if you were just if it was just jill and kirby there of course they would not go over there like that would make so much sense for them to like just staying put is absolutely the best option but i mean too late what i said it'd be too late for them to go over there i just lock the door yeah. no right ex- ex- exactly so it was a very it was a very realistic thing that they did and i like it when scream does realistic things you know yeah i just wanted to add on to what Corey said like the feeling of helplessness not just with olivia with the opening scene kill with allison brie with anthony anderson i mean there's a lot of kills where ghost-faced is it's like you guys said, Roger L. Jackson doesn't get to be playful. Ghostface is not like toying with people like he usually does. He or she usually does. It's just brutal killing, and it's like honestly, these are like the kills where I look at them and I'm like, this is fucking hard to watch. You can know? I can I ask you about the Allison Brie one? What was the point? Did the car not start? Is that why she got out of the car because the car wouldn't start? Yeah, yeah, that, they took like a spark plug out or some shit like that, so the car didn't start. So she had to get out to go to do something else. She had to get out to run to like an elevator. The movie demanded it. I, I'm just saying, I, I feel like staying in the car and just laying on the horn is the best possible option in that. Like getting out of the car, you're just like that's so stupid. Uh, the Anthony Anderson death, uh, him getting stabbed in the head and then walking out and like taking swings at air. Uh, I actually love that. Uh, you know, the whole just, you know, him being blood just pouring down his face and him just walking away before dropping before he does his kind of silly Bruce Willis line. I don't really love the Bruce Willis line in that context because I think that's kind of, uh, that's really witty for him to, to, you know, to say after being stabbed in the brain before. You don't know what synapses are firing (laughs) when there's a knife in your head. Yeah, well, he'd use the last sip naps or whatever to be really funny. <laughs> He's going to go out joking, I guess. But That one's um, a little over the top, but I, I think it's effective. Yeah, me. I do like the cop rule bit, though. The, the fact that these movies always do horror movie rules, and then they throw in a, a brief cop movie rule rule scene with you know him and his partner. But um, So, uh, any thoughts on the cop characters in general, Cole? I know you had, you said you wanted to talk about the Andy and Anthony Anderson scene. Well, yeah, just because it was so brutal... And these guys are not good at their jobs. Him and Adam. No, Brody, they suck. They are really they are so bad at their job in this movie. Why did they leave? Adam Brody, just in general, is always creating all these fucking problems. I think that's Dewey's fault. Because Dewey should not be hiring incompetent people. That's ridiculous. You can only work with the people who apply, though. That is true. <laughs> 
He does. He, I, yeah, he does question them when uh, after the first the neighbor death, he goes, "What happened?" And he's like, "Oh, I saw him go that way, and then I tried to cut him off, and then we didn't see him." So like, uh, you know, who knows how the fuck that happened? It's a good way to write that one off. Yeah, because you can't really question it. <laughs> you know, there's really not like a flaw you can find in that logic. It's like, like I guess he got around him. We saw him. We you ran. Know? We didn't watch him do it, but I guess he did. How did they? What? Where did they go? Like Sydney they walks out ran of the. Around. Ra- no, Sydney runs out of the house, yells to the cops to help, realizes there's no one in the car, and then they runs into dead, Olivia's Corey. house. He's, were they dead? They no, that, that was at the beginning oh, no. of the movie. Oh. They oh, said that they were trying to... They said they saw him going around a house down the street, and one went to go get him, and the other one went to the other side to cut him off. I thought that was after when they came in the house, and she was just like, no, he, no, he got I, out. My interpretation was that was why they were not on guard at that point. Yeah. That's what, yeah, that's what, that, cause that's what they say when Dewey asks, like, Where what were happened. you? Yeah. Um, mm. so they did see the ghost face before, you know, that happened, but maybe not because how the hell was he in the closet when Olivia, cause they were in the car when Olivia went inside and that means he was already in the closet. So that doesn't really make sense. It's best if you don't question it. <laughs> like, I, I love that Corey. I, I agree. That is also one of the, um, like most tense scenes in the movie. But if you hear how loud he is speaking to them on the phone, and he's just supposed to be in the closet where the, um, well, whatever her name is. Olivia. Olivia is, you know, on the phone with them. You think she might hear them. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. that's like all these movies at yeah. certain points, but that's a pretty egregious example that one's, of it. Yeah. Um, so in regards to, like, the main trio in this movie, like, bringing back the main three, um, I think Sydney doesn't have much to do in this movie. I, I was thinking that too. Yeah. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on Sydney's movie? I think she's just kind of like a fifth wheel. Um, honestly, she, in terms of character growth, not much. Uh, I think they you kind of wasted the opportunity with her and her aunt. They don't really talk about the mom much at all. I feel like there was opportunity there to flesh out Sydney's thoughts about that as an adult. We don't get that at all or even get to know the, the mom char- or the, the aunt character at all. I, I agree. Sydney could have had more to do with like having more of those uh, adult conversations i guess but like how she's reflected on it when there's been 10 years of nothing and she can kind of think more of it um but yeah i don't i I definitely don't think the movie didn't really set up a position or a situation where that could have been plot or possible because like right away the killings start and then every single time you see her there's something going on and so yeah that's a that's the film's fault for not putting Sydney in a situation like that. But also like with what we got, I don't think there was an opportunity to just have it naturally. Yeah, I agree. Like you were saying, like Sydney just doesn't have much to do in this movie in the sense that she's pretty much waiting around in the house for the whole movie until the climax. Um, Whereas like, you know, in these other movies, she's, she, she has to, you know, especially in like scream three, she has to, you know, take a lot of authority in her own actions and what she's doing. She doesn't really do that much. I mean, she shows growth in that. Like I said, she runs over to the house earlier. So there's little moments that shows who she is now. But in general, like, in terms of the plot of the movie, it's kind of like what Ghostface says where it's like, all you can do is sit back and watch until it's your turn. Which, you know, I get it. Right, and I get that this movie was supposed to be, like, hyping up Jill as the new uh, Sydney, and maybe we think she's a new protagonist so that the, sh- the twist is more effective and we'll get to Jill later. But uh, I do think that that's probably this movie's biggest demerit in my my eyes is the underutilization of Sydney as a character. Uh, Sam, I, what did, you, did you have any thoughts about Sydney? Or? Well, I, I, I agree with you that she didn't have 
much to do. I, I think really they just kind of showed more her character growth and giving her a reason to continue growing in the movie. I mean, even, I mean, to piggyback off of what you said, uh, I mean, she darts through the house when she sees Olivia getting attacked. That, that was something I noted. Um, but I mean, even when she shows up um, to Woodsboro at the start of the movie, she sees all the ghost face decorations and she's seemingly just unfazed by it. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, you, you kind of think, yeah, you, you get used to it. You have all these movies about your life. And like at, at that point, it's just like, okay, I have moved on. I'm not afraid anymore. The door was left open. Yeah. And she's but, come out of darkness. And she's come out of darkness now. Um, so uh, in terms of Gale and Dewey in this movie... Uh, I don't think Dewey has much to do either <laughs> uh, beyond, you know, I think Gale's only only one of the main three that actually like gets active, a yeah. lot of writing in this movie. And I, I love Gale in this movie. Uh, I think she's, you know, it's an improvement for her character on appearance and writing over three. So, I mean, uh, I think uh, her having a, I like that they acknowledge that her and Gale or her and Dewey, probably not a couple, you know, made to last forever and that, she is not feeling the small town wife thing that she's got going on. She's trying to write. She has no inspiration. So she jumps at this first chance to try to solve another ghost face murder when it pops up because it kind of revitalizes, uh, I, I guess, using the words of the movie, uh, her tarnished brand. Um, and I like her interactions with Deputy Judy. You know how Courtney Cox is really funny in this movie. Is my, that's my long winded way of saying that and that she does a really good job with all her material. Um, but Cole, do you have any thoughts on uh, you know, Gale and Dewey's relationship in this movie and the characters in general here. I think it's great that we get to see their dynamic again. But like you said, Dewey doesn't have a lot to do. He takes the role of the inept sheriff that he was with. I'm I'm upset we didn't get another cigarette ice cream scene. Yeah, Gale is great. I find it weird that she's trying to partner with these teenagers. Yeah, I mean, Gale's honestly one of the best parts of this movie just because we get to see you know she's always looking for her story but this one she actually feels like a truly desperate character to reclaim that kind of fame that she's lost she's lost like that big part of herself that's why she can't fucking write a book at this point like you see her at the beginning of the movie and she says i have nothing to write like, she's trying to find inspiration, and it's kind of cool to see that version of her, because she always has had inspiration in these other movies. She's always had a story. In this one, she's actually looking for one. Yeah, it's it's the power flip, because in the other movies, she's, you know, super famous. Not that she's not famous now, but Dewey's always kind of like, kind of like the smaller person in her shadow of, like, her, you know, her celebrityness as Gail Weathers. Whereas in this one, now in the small town, Dewey's the sheriff, and he's kind of blocking her out of the investigation and she doesn't have anything to do. So yeah, like you said, it, it puts her in a new position. Whereas, you know, Sydney and Dewey aren't, don't have much new positions, but I will say, I do like the scene between Dewey and uh, Sydney when they're uh, sitting there and Dewey admits, you know, he addresses their marriage problems, you know, vaguely. And then, but then he responds with, you know, uh, a quote from her book, which I think is really cute because he has it memorized with the page and everything. He's like, you know, sometimes when things get, you know, it seems like things are really bad and that they get worse. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they get better or something like that. 
Um, and he's so ha- he looks so happy that he has it memorized, and he's so comforted by that. And Dewey, the Dewey and Sydney scenes are really good, or just the interactions. And I do like that they acknowledge that you know Gale and Dewey's marriage isn't great. I just don't understand how Dewey is running this town. Like I, I, how did he get into this position? He doesn't seem very like. Oh yeah, he's always there, and he always like pulls it out in the end. But like throughout the time, I mean, the staffing stuff that we were just ta- that we were talking about, it just seems like whoever put him in charge needs to be fired because he so is not ma- doing the very. The mayor. Yeah, the mayor is. The mayor is not doing Who good. Who is hired, the mayor of this town? They, they hired a war. T- they hired a wartime hero for peacetime. I was going to just say it's his boyish charm. All right, so in terms of the other new characters here, uh, I guess the main one we just got to talk about is uh, Jill. Uh, I will say that I think the strongest aspect of this movie is the killer reveal with Jill. Um, And I think uh, her, once she is revealed, once she takes off the mask and his ghost face, I think Emma Roberts is like so watchable and fun in this movie. And I think what makes her stand out to me is that, yeah, she gets crazy, but it's such a believable crazy as compared to how like crazy uh, without going into detail because we're not there yet. But like some of the killers get in the next two movies after they reveal who they are uh, or like even like Mickey and like Scream 2 or or like, you know, Roman a bit in three. Like the fact that she I think her, uh, you know, the, the level that she takes it to, I buy still within her character and what she reveals about herself in yeah, the process. I, I think it all is cohesive and it makes sense. Oh, and I think she knows I was it. just going to say there's, she's smarter about it than everybody else after the reveal. Like Mrs. Loomis even goes a little wild too. Billy and Stu, they're stabbing each other. They're, they're going a little too crazy. Jill knows Jill's, Jill's playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers. I mean, she knows exactly she knows exactly what she needs to do, and she does it probably smarter than every other killer we've seen up to this point. Well, had Sydney already been stabbed when Jill reveals it? I think yeah. she stabs Sydney. That is the reveal. She runs away, and Jill comes out and stabs her, right? Yeah, so I think that also changes it a little. They they had not stabbed Sydney. Everyone was monologuing. Yeah. Where, in this case, Jill is already primed and set up and ready to go. Like, Granted, she probably doesn't think she's going to survive, but... She should have confirmed the kill, for sure. <laughs> yeah, you always confirm the kill, especially if you're a killer. Yeah. In these screen movies, you definitely got to confirm the kill, especially if you're the killer. Um... <laughs> where the one minute scene of her setting up the crime scene uh, is a lot of fun. Like after she thinks, after oh, Sydney's unconscious and she's like she's hurting like, herself. That that one was really good. <laughs> I like that part. A body slam into the glass table. Yeah, I love, running I love full the speed into the picture frame is my favorite. Sydney like outstretching the hand, like this poetic yeah. moment between two survivors. You know. Well, no, not anymore in, in Jill's mind. But yeah, the fact that she set that up because she wants to set up that whole narrative already that, you know, it's she's the way that she's already positioned, like, oh, I just wish that Sydney could have survived too when she's talking to uh, Dewey. It's just that type of psychopath behavior that she's got, this attitude she's got about the whole thing and the whole, like, I need fans, not friends. Uh, well, like that, that whole attitude, it, it like kind of predates the influencer. Well, I was going to say that is more or less when not necessarily influencers were taking off, but just like Facebook was more or less right in its peak at that point. Twitter was really getting there. I know it was 
a little ahead of Instagram and now Snapchat and TikTok, but yeah, like she's curating her life in the way that so many people do now. Mm -hmm. Like she's creating the narrative, wanting the fans and it's like uh it's definitely something that gets more prescient with age. Like I think this that's even more of a like believable motive now than it even was in 2011. Oh, only because it's gotten worse and you'll believe that people will do whatever they need to yeah. to get the fame and followers. Yeah. I mean, this is coming off of like I, I mean, I don't think reality TV was as big of a deal. Put it this way. Reality TV wasn't that big of a deal and Scream 1, 2 and 3 came out, but you know, the 2000s, the aughts going into 2011, MTV and reality shows take over and you have Emma Rod or Jill say here like you know, you don't have to do anything to be famous. You just have to have fucked up shit happen to you. And then, you know, you'll get... She She Point probably thinks she's going to get a reality show out of this. She leaves... She probably uh, leaves Gail alive, stabbing her in the shoulder so Gail can write the book with her, like she says. That's why she wants Gail to live, you know? Like, so she's already thinking about how famous she's going to be the whole time. Obviously, that's that was her motive, and that makes sense. I'm just saying, like you were saying, Cole, she does have this all thought out, and really her only mistake is just not confirming the kill with Sydney. And then at that point, it, she's she's fucked. Because anything she does at the hospital, she's not going to get away with. And Sydney says as much, you know. But what other choices Jill have in that moment besides maybe... The only other option is hope that either Sydney dies or that if she wakes up, she forgot, like De- Dewey says. But uh, yeah, at that point, she's fucked. It's a classic case of that one revealing line that lets everyone else in on it that you might have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, our matching wounds. Yeah, she blew that. I always thought that was kind of a weak sauce realization, but you know maybe they had heard from someone. But I guess it's it, it's put it this way. I don't, I don't know I if think it's, it's kind of a weak, weak sauce for Dewey to immediately be like, oh holy no, shit, it's weak you know, sauce. But I, I it's guess not just it, weak. It, you got you got to learn not to trust everybody. I don't know if it's weak on their part. I mean, keep in mind, like she is an investigative reporter. Well, I, I mean, even buy that if he like hears that things. he, he like, is a cop. Thinks that maybe not maybe the most competent. I don't buy him like sprinting and like oh no, like something's happening right now. Like that, I'm kind of. Because it takes him so long to get there to begin with, you know? Like, you could have had him be like, you know what? That is odd. Let me go check on that. Like, and then he... Yeah. Oh, and it's great that he can run now, too. Clearly, he got lots of physical therapy between the third one and this one. Yeah, yeah, he's doing pretty good now, physically. Yeah. This is definitely him and... It kind of struck that off, that whole limp and... Well, Sam, just like there's a lot of new reality shows in the office, there's been a lot of, you know, physical therapy developments, and I think Dewey just... As a small town sheriff, had access to all of it with his payroll. Um, that's so, why you can't hire a couple other people. Yeah, that's where all the money went, <laughs> and that's that's why they could only afford Adam Brody and Anthony Anderson and uh, Marley Shelton. Which, by the way, um, I I think the she's definitely the big red herring in this movie. In the way they depict her in some scenes, especially when Jill or when Sydney comes out of Jill's room and she's just like standing in the shadows <laughs> back there. And talking about how she's like, you don't remember me, do you? Or whatever. Like, that's like such an obvious red herring scene to where it's like, well, it's definitely not her. You yeah. Know, almost to a certain point. They, they have fun with it. I mean, all of them movies do, though. Mm-hmm. I actually really liked, um, you know, it's like on the, the rewatch when you pick up things. First thing that uh, Kirby says when she's picking up Jill is, promise not to kill me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Uh, another, we brought, this is kind of off topic, back to what we were saying earlier, but I did love, I caught, I caught this one one of the last few times I watched it is, when Olivia, the girl who gets gutted, gets is getting out of her car, walking to her house. Meanwhile, Anthony Anderson, or Adam Brody is doing a crossword. He goes, uh, three-letter word, or four-letter word for courage. And Anthony Anderson's like, um, guts, or whatever. <laughs> and that's, that's just the line while that girl is about to yeah. be gutted is walking in. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, there's that. That's, that's clever. Cute. Um, 
you guys, what do you guys like about the the new quote unquote new Billy Trevor in this movie? Um, I used to think he was kind of bland, but I've actually come to really appreciate his kind of his moments here. I like he's kind of a he's definitely I, I, let's say kind of he's definitely a dick. And when he when that little when he comment his comment to Sydney when like Sydney walk catches them in there together uh, and he's leaving and he's like he looks at him, he goes nice to meet you and he goes he just goes you're smaller in person. I just don't think he left much of an impact on me. Hmm. My favorite dickish moment he has is definitely when he interrupts Charlie and Yeah, Katie, he's great there. <laughs> and then he like goes, were you guys gonna? And she goes, who the fuck? Well, well, he, goes, goes, well he goes, did, did I interrupt something? And then he like, she doesn't answer and he just, his eyes give me, he's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like that's His best moments don't come until the end because I feel like before then he has like those little one-liners like, oh, you're smaller in person, which almost makes him like in the category of red herring because he's like sizing her up right away and seeing what he can like if he can do anything um like murder wise not anything sort of otherwise um but he though that like final scene at kirby's house he's definitely like one of the best characters in those scenes just because of like the personality he brings to it you give you get a feel for him and it's like this i don't semi-likable asshole who at this point like Billy wasn't you know Billy wasn't funny so yeah he was just kind of Stu was the funny one Billy was just honestly scary (laughs) and handsome did want to talk about yeah I was about to say that's the last character that I think we should talk about before we move on just just because I mean Charlie says it himself like he's the new Randy but he's really not. Kirby's the new Randy. That is true. We get this character who kind of knows everything, who has a feel for everything that's going on, and who has this encyclopedic, yeah. the way, uh, anyway, knowledge of like movies. And she's so funny. She's she's really fucking endearing. Well, at that point, like, yeah, you're you're getting to the era of, as they say in 21 Jump Street, nerds are cool. And yeah. she embodies that. Love her hair. I love her hair in this movie. I'm obsessed yeah. with it. She is by far, like, one of the best parts of this movie. And, like, that scene where she has to tell Charlie to get away from the door is so, so painful. Because, like, she's really starting to, like, have feelings for this guy. And she's like... Get away from the door, Charlie. Yeah. And she she does that whole scene yeah, really well. Like, I think the phone call with her is great. And like her when you know she she answers the questions and then she has that great like long list of all the remakes or whatever horror remakes of the two uh, thousands. You know, and Ghostface prompts her with that, uh, and then she Ghostface says the answer, and she's like, "Oh, I must have got it right." I think that's cheating. I, I kind of regret though that she didn't but, even let him ask the question. She just kind of jumped right into it as soon as he said remake. It's a risky move. It's a risky move for sure, but Clearly I'm not going to her. Her, hold it against her too much given that she's in a very flustered situation right now. Um, and that odds scene, are it was one scene. of those. Yeah, but the you odds know, are it was one of those. You can't answer a question with 20 answers and expect to get full credit. Well, he also kind of cheated the question before because he did a none of the above, which I'm like, that's not fair, Ghostface. You can't. You can't give options and then say none of the above. That's not that's not fair. Yeah, you know, I don't think we've ever seen a situation where the person on the other end of the line wins like every round. Like you answer all five correctly, okay. Well, that photos our plans. 
Maybe that's how you do something new in the opening of Scream 7. Maybe the opening of Scream 7 is someone actually getting it right, and then they're just like, is it over? And they can't, they just don't know if it's over. <laughs> They'll never trust that it's over. Yeah, kind of like the uh, the most recent episode of your podcast where you're talking about the pirate's rules. Maybe there are secret Ghostface rules, mm. and we just haven't had to see them like play it out. The thing is, every Ghostface is different, and I doubt there's the Council of Ghostfaces, the Brethren Court of Ghostfaces. I feel like we're getting there, though. By Scream 7, we might be there. Yeah, I might as well at this point. Um, I mean, they're probably gonna... There was a whole scrapped idea for, like, a Ghostface cult. That that is true. And the last thing I wanted to bring up here, just uh, because I don't know where else to bring it up, um, the original... uh, In an interview with Kevin Williamson, the, the original ending for this movie did have Jill surviving... And uh, Sydney also surviving, but I guess they were going to play up the amnesia aspect because Sydney was not going to know, remember that Jill was the killer. Um, and that there would have been someone else, another killer, who knew Jill was the killer, and that there would have been two killers, you know, competing against each other. And obviously, anyone who gets in their way would, would die. Um, God, who would have And it would have been back at college. Who would have known and how? I know. The questions would have been really good. I would have maybe liked to see that, but, you know, can't play the what it could have, should have game when what we got is what we got afterwards. Um, I feel like with this one, and I mean, definitely going in the next two, so I won't press it too much, they really start to put the emphasis on the Stab series mm-hmm. in the universe more than the actual events, which I think is just so, like, really bizarre. Like, even Gail at one point, I think, is like mentioning, you know, in the first movie, or, or someone says it to her, it's like, you could just say, like, in your life when this happens... Like, they're really referencing the movies to these people more than they are just the actual events. In the, mm-hmm. in the next movie, there's there's something that the killer does, and it's not because it happened in, the, like, our first movie. It happened in their first movie. Yeah. And we'll talk about that when we when we see... And that, that one would be, what, Stab, Stab 8 at that point? Like, we're already oh, on Stab yeah. 7. Stab 8 is the, the woke one. Yeah, also... I would love Brian Johnson's stab. Like, how excited would you be for the the production docuseries behind the making of Stab Three? Like, how did they even like greenlight that movie after everything happened? Yeah, I'm surprised that the franchise carried on. Because the original Stab Three, they were making Stab Three and Scream Three, and that was going to be a fictitious story because Sydney was going to die. Yeah, all that was fake, and then obviously they scrapped that movie, and then I guess they made a Stab Three about the making of the fake. Milton's dead, and then like someone else is like, all right. This yeah. is still a franchise that has some life in it. So. Yeah, they would, I mean, t- they would, people would go see that, for sure, yeah. if there weren't people boycotting it for... What if know. Stab 3 was a meta movie about the making of Stab 3? I'm sure they're all meta. Oh, man. Um, last thing I was going to say is I do like the ending of every, all the reporters talking about the hero, Jill, as we zoom in on the face of Jill being dead. I think that's a great last image of uh, the movie, <laughs> one of the best last images of mm-hmm. any of these movies, if not the best. Um, but yep, that's how I felt about that. Uh, if there's no other thoughts, we can move on to our next section. Any objections? Bring it on. Let's go. All right, uh, we're gonna move on to uh, award season. Apparently they strayed off course, and we're fairly certain they're in guerrilla hands. So why don't you use the regular army? What do you need us for? Because some damn fool accused you of being the best. All right, uh, in awards season, we pick our MVPs, and I think we should be polite and let our guest Sam here go first with his MVP of Scream 4. All right, I think uh, I would go with the obvious choice of Olivia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, yes. I think for me, I, I would love to say 
Kirby. I'd love to say Dewey. Um, but for me, it's Jill. Mm. She handles the lead well as if the baton is being passed to her early on. Uh, I see your face that I might have taken your answer. So sorry. But, I mean, I, you got to elaborate on it earlier, though. And to me, it is just the final sequence after the reveal. Her just turning in the most manic, depraved depo- mm-hmm. performance from there just seals it for me. I mean, everyone else is is good, but I, I don't know if anyone is like highlighted with a moment until she has that moment. Yeah. I, I, the one thing I was going to say, one last thing I want to say about her, uh, just because you brought her up and I can't use her for my pick, is I do love that line that she has when she's telling Gail to get up. And she's like, yep, get your skinny little ass out here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Corey, you did call dibs on going second, didn't you? I did I did call dibs, and I am going to go Kirby as you my son MVP. Of a bitch. Kirby is just, I, I, when talking about this movie, like, she's one of the first things you talk about. Like she is one of the best parts of this movie by far. She has uh, one of like some of the best moments throughout the movie. She's very consistent as character and you're just always interested. I was always interested. Um, Don't want to speak for everyone here, but I was always interested every single time she was on screen. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I, I Kirby is my MVP. Well, her and do even have, I think just one of the most underrated exchanges in the movie when um, she's like saying, Oh yeah, the killer didn't call you. It's like, what? No, is that bad? And then um, Dewey's like, I'm going to die next. Yeah, Dewey's like, no, maybe. Of course not. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) see, who gave him the chief of police or the sheriff when he's saying stupid stuff like that to people who are so scared? Anyway. Well, he's being encouraging. At first, he's encouraging. And then he's, you know, probably a realist. He just just let, that was his own intrusive thought. Like, (laughs) oh, shit, maybe it does mean she's going to die next. But uh, Cole, you can go ahead. uh with your with your MVP pick, I'm sure they took both of yours, but I oh, came prepared with two, like all four possible MVPs. I oh, hope you I, came prepared. Yeah, I did, and I gotta say, a guy whose return I was happy to have, and that would be my main man, Kevin Motherfucking Williamson. Man, I'm, you guys took all my top three. Yeah, wow. Go fuck yourself. No, but uh, I mean, you can really feel it in this movie. The script is sharper. The characters are better. We get so many more, like, endearing characters. We get smarter characters. I mean, Jill, smartest villain, written by Kevin Williamson. Yes, the performance is great. You don't get the character without the writer. You don't get characters like Kirby, who is the subversion of expectation by being this cool nerd. Yeah, he leaves some characters to the side that we love, but... He's the man, and I'm happy to have him back for this one. Yeah, I'll. Uh, I agree with you, Cole. He is. Uh, you can definitely put it this way, especially in the meta dialogue, which I brought up in Scream Three, felt more forced and less witty, and more just like name dropping things that are in real life instead of actually commenting on them. That's what it felt like in Scream Three. I think in this one. It's back to, you know, it's it's a lot better in this one, like you said. Um, and the, the, the exchanges between characters are a lot better. And like you said, Jill's a great character. But my pick, you guys took my top three, so here's my fourth. Uh, we talked about her earlier. Courtney Cox does a great job as Gail in this movie. Uh, and I, I'm not going to, you know, go too long on it, like, uh, like because we had already talked about her. But, again, she just, she takes uh, Gail to some, um, she has a good performance with Gail because Gail has a lot to do in this movie, and she does a good job with it. You feel for Gale in this movie more so than you probably do in any of these other movies uh, to this point. Uh, and in terms of like what she's going through as a character, whereas in the other movies she's more a little, little more cold, and you have to be 
uh, you're kind of not that we don't like her. We, I mean, I love her in those movies, even when she is cold. I love that aspect of her. But you have, I have more sympathy for her in this movie than I do in other ones. And uh, she still has that, uh, you know, kind of, um, I don't know, tough nature to her. You know, in her comments to people, uh, and I, I love those parts too. But um, at the end, at the end of the day, you know, it's she's got vulnerability here, like that we had talked about. That she's, you know. She's feeling out of place as a character, and I, th I think that uh, overall Courtney Cox does a great job with that material. Uh, so moving on to our next section called the review section. It says that they insist on outside opinions. What kind of opinions? Well, you're kind not to put too fine a point on it. I mean, let's face it, in your particular field, you're the top minds. All right, so in the review section, we give our star rating out of five. Um, I'll let our guests go last, uh, this time. Um, I appreciate that, yeah, actually. Yeah, I think Sam has to do some thinking about it. Uh, but I am gonna go first, uh, and say I'm gonna... I've gone back and forth on this a lot. I think I'm gonna give Scream 4 a 4 out of 5. I really like this movie. I think it's a big comeback after 3. Not that I didn't like 3, I like 3, but... I, like, like we were saying, everything just feels fresher here. Um, the killer reveal might be my favorite in the franchise besides the original. Um, I Like with Jill specifically, I don't really give a shit about Charlie, but um, it's, that whole final act is great. Um, overall, this film, funny, good new characters, brings back our original characters, and while they don't give them, a couple of them as much to do, the interactions between them are still really enjoyable, and I love that reunion aspect. Uh, and the kill scenes, big step up from three. So overall, four out of five. I feel very favorably for this movie. I'm nostalgic for when it came out. It was the first Scream film I saw in theaters after I had become obsessed with the original three. So this was a huge deal for me and it did not disappoint. Uh, Corey, you want to go next? I was going to give it a three out of five. Um, I thought I liked this movie more than I did going into it. So I, once I finished it, I was a little disheartened, but it's still overall a good, uh, a good Scream movie. I don't think it's one of the best. I think it's probably on the lower end of the spectrum. But I, I kind of talked about why I do like it. I, I just don't think there were as many, like, of the moments that other ones have that elevate them above a three, three and a out of five. So three out of five. Cole? Uh, I'm going to go 3.25. I kind of agree with Corey here. There is some stuff that I, I really did like, but it suffers from this long, this idea of being the long standing sequel. At this point, because there's a 10-year gap between this one and like the and the third, and yeah, it is a return to form. But there are also some things that they do that are a little, you know, that I didn't I didn't like. All all the red herrings kind of became redundant at some point. Though Judy Hicks, that one that one never gets old. Um, but yeah, I, I still do love these movies. I think I always will. This is definitely one of my favorite slasher franchises, if not my favorite by far, just because these movies are so fun to watch. Even though this isn't my favorite of the bunch, it's still a good movie. And yeah. Uh, for me, I would say that this movie is a 3.5 out of 5. Um, <laughs> I'm using notes from my letterbox review. Since I wasn't really prepared for this part. That's usually oh. what I do anyway. Yeah. But, um, no, I, I think this one was a good movie. Definitely an improvement over three. I mean, it's almost redundant to say that. Uh, it channels 
enough of the meta and self-aware references to justify kind of being repetitive in a way from other parts of the series. But it, I don't know, it, it still does it for me. The charm for all the original cast returning, the noobs, they're also enjoyable. Um, yeah, I, it, it's, a, it's a three and a half. Mm-hmm. Also, it wins, though, for having the best poster in the entire franchise. It is a pretty awesome poster with the ghost face. For those who are listening, which I guess is everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the ghost face as it uh, morphs into a blade from a uh, profile shot. Yeah, it's pretty good. Before uh, the uh, character clumps posters became like a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's... Well, no, the original screams were nothing but character yeah, that's... clumps. Although they were just real photos. They were right out of the game yeah. in that aspect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they predicted the future there. Um, yeah, so uh, moving on to our last section, uh, the post credit scene. You're still here. It's over. Go home. All right, in the post credit scene, talk about what we got coming next. It's Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, the fourth film in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Uh, I'm excited come... to rewatch it. It's been about like five years at least since I've watched it, so I'm excited to rewatch that one. You, I'm just you... excited for your guys' discussion about it. I've you want really to come enjoyed back, this. Sam? <laughs> you want to come back for Pirates Four? No. Uh, <laughs> wow. Because I don't, I don't want to have to share a laptop again. <laughs> This has been a very stressful recording for me. Sam and I are sharing the same recording, so inevitably when this comes out sounding weird between Sam and I's vocals being probably not even, that's that's why. We're crowded around the same microphone, which is less than ideal. But hey, that's think problems happen and you know, they we overcome them. So yeah, on Stranger Tides. Uh Corey, you watch anything this week that you want to talk about? Um, I don't think I watched anything new i kind of talked about it last time still watching deep space nine still working my way through that so yeah nothing new watch cool. uh jerry duty everyone i feel like mm-hmm. i didn't hammer that home well enough in the last episode sam watch jerry Dewey. what i have heard about it is that james marsden is really really funny in it and I, I do love anything with james marsden so maybe i will he is and the main guy who doesn't know that this is all like a setup he like makes fun of some of James Marsden's movies. He's like, "Oh yeah, I was in like James Marsden's like, oh yeah, I was in Sonic." And he's like, "You were? I heard that movie sucked." <laughs> like straight to James Marsden's <laughs> face, and he was just like, "Ah oh, man, come on, I don't know. It's 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 fun." And he's just trying to like <laughs> defend it without being too pushy. That's in like the first like ten minutes, so it's not spoiling anything. I started rewatching Heroes. Um, like Sam mentioned, the first season is really great save the cheerleaders save the world i mean and i also took Corey's advice and i decided to watch draft day and it made me really sad because i forgot that chadwick boseman was in it and he is really great he's one of like the very big highlights of the film mainly because kevin costner's fucking sleepwalking through the entire movie um oh Dude, oh, you can't man. you can't sleepwalk and make trades like he was. Okay, so I don't know, I don't know where you get that from. Uh, Sam, did you watch anything recently that you think you find noteworthy or that you really would like to talk about and, and harp on? Yes, I would. <laughs> um, well, first off, I, I haven't been watching much recently because I'm currently replaying The Last of Us Part Two, mm. which is a beautiful game, and I hope everyone gets the chance to play it. But uh. 
given I clearly was not invited for the Pirates 4 recording, yeah. uh, and I have no idea if I'll ever be on this show again. You won't. I, I don't know, you know, how this will be received. I just feel like if I were to refer one show for anyone to take the time to watch, it's a tidy little HBO epic, two seasons, absolutely beautiful. It set the stage before Game of Thrones was a thing. One might even say it was the pre-Game of Thrones Game of Thrones. It's a historical epic called Rome. Critics loved it, and I just think it is criminally underrated and overlooked by so many. So, yes, please watch it. That was like the first premium show I ever watched, and it is amazing. That is, uh, I should have seen that one coming. Um, I'm just going to say that I watched Tucker and Dale vs. Evil recently. I just rewatched it because I haven't really watched anything new, notably lately. I've been just keeping up on Barry. Barry's great. Everyone watch Barry. 